Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 19, which is located in our church Bibles on page 907. Please stand if you are able as we read from the New Testament. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got onto the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not yet know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Though none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Please be seated. Let's go ahead and pray as we come to this text today. Lord, you remind us in Psalm 36 of your steadfast love that extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds, that your righteousness is like the mountains of God and your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Lord, that is our prayer this morning, that we might taste and see that you are good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> well, you may find it interesting that one of the uh, most famous songs sung at funerals is Frank Sinatra's 
my way. Yes, believe it or not. And some of the lyrics roll like this. Regrets I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. Now, I'm not sure what world he is living in in which he only has a few regrets. Uh, Life is like that, right? Full of regrets and failures. Now, you may not have a regret like the individual in this picture behind me. For those of you uh, listening online, it's a tattoo of somebody that says no regrets rather than no regrets. But I'm sure that all of us could say that we have some regrets, some failures in our life. Now, there is a difference between having regrets and living a life of regret, wallowing in those regrets. Uh, Life brings about failures and regrets, whether it's a a failure in our job, uh, some of the goals that we may have set for ourselves or maybe our boss set for us that we have not met, or maybe it's one like we see referenced in our text today. But just like Peter, if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that we do fail the ones that we love and we fail our Lord regularly. But as we go through this text today, we're going to see three scenes laid out kind of like a, like a play or like a movie. So I'd encourage you to jump into the text and take part in it as such. And one thing that we will hear Jesus shouting out to us over and over is this question, the same one that he asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And first, we're going to see the unexpected visitor in scene one. And in scene two, we'll see the wounds that heal. And in scene three, we will see the priorities of love. So let's go first to scene one, the unexpected visitor. And if you open up your text again to John 21, it'll be helpful as we follow along here. But this unexpected visitor. Now, we must remember that the excitement of Passover week has come And it was concluded by Jesus being taken away from the garden in the middle of the night. And what followed was a series of illegal trials, of beatings, and the numbing horror of the crucifixion. But all of that was eclipsed by the cry of victory from the empty tomb and Christ's resurrection. And then his appearing to the disciples in that room that was closed off and meeting with them. So now the disciples had this new hope. They had been uh, given a fresh breath of life, as it were, because Jesus was alive, just as he had said. But as we come to this text, they've traveled some 80 miles from Jerusalem all the way back to Galilee. And as usual, Peter's inability to sit still, uh, coupled with a couple of other things, sets the stage for this scene right here. Now imagine, if you will, Peter and the other disciples out at night and they hear the water lapping onto the shore. There's the breath of the sea air and it's just too much for Peter and he blurts out, as you see in verse 3, I'm going fishing. And the others that were with him decided to join him. And let's, let's admit it, I mean, there's not much better than getting out on a boat with some buddies and catching some fish. 
especially in the evening with the moon and the stars reflecting on that sea. Now you can imagine in this scene the discussion that these guys are having. They're sharing memories about their times with Jesus. They talked about the scriptures. They wondered what the future might hold. They asked, do you think that we'll get to see Jesus again? And if we get to see him, what's he going to say to us? And what's that interaction going to be like? And the night goes on and on. And there's more time between the casts of the net as they grow tired. And despite being professional fishermen, they hadn't caught anything. And they're realizing this may be the fate for this, for this uh, fishing trip. You can imagine the conversation dwindling down, except for Peter, who's still probably running his mouth about one thing or another. But I need you to keep the images of this text in your mind. And then morning starts to roll around, and the fog is starting to lift and clear from the sun, and the disciples decide to cut their losses. They're about 100 yards from shore, and in verse 4, we see Jesus standing on the shore call out to them and say, hey, you guys catch anything? And though admitting their failure, they are only able to muster up the word, no. And Jesus says, cast it on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. Now, keep in mind that for whatever reason, they haven't recognized yet that this is Jesus that is calling to them from the shore, that is telling them to do this. And if you're a fisherman, you know that when you have not had a time of catching much or anything at all, you play this scenario over and over in your mind, just one more cast. You know, I'm just going to, just one more over here. Okay, no, 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 seriously, one more. I'll drive a little, little bit faster to get home, just one more cast, and we do that. So the, the disciples here are like, all right, what do we have to lose? We're going to cast it over to the other side. So they cast the net over onto the right side of the boat, and they get a haul of fish. And at this moment, the memories of a past scenario come flooding back in to John, and he says to Peter, that's Jesus. And I love the way that this is written, Peter being Peter. Look down at verse 7. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. Remember that picture. And at the end of this scene, we see Jesus having already prepared a charcoal fire and somehow having fish that the disciples were not able to catch all night long. And they're cooking, and he invites the disciples to join him around this charcoal fire and says, bring over some of the fish that you've caught, and we'll add that to the mix. So Peter runs back, and he grabs the net, and it's somehow not broken. And we're told that there are 153 large fish in this net. Now, why is 153 noted? Now, this is pretty interesting. Many scholars note here that the number 153 has some very unique arithmetic properties. It's a triangular number, meaning that it's the sum of the integers from 1 to 17. It's also one of the Armstrong numbers, meaning that it's the sum of the cubes of 1, of 5, and of 3, coming out to 153. Are any of you snoring yet? <laughs> so why 153? Are you ready for this? Because there were 153 fish. <laughs> That's my take on it, okay? 
There is, there's no secret math dimension going on here. There were 153 fish. And it is a detail here in this story because this is not a fable. This story actually happened. In fact, in fables, details given like this were not even invented until centuries later. So we close out scene one with Jesus and seven disciples eating fish and bread in the morning around a charcoal fire. Now scene two, wounds that heal, verses 15 to 17. Look down at these verses, and as you see them, they've finished breakfast, and Jesus says to Simon Peter, three times he asks them the question, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And three times Jesus repeats this simple question to Peter. And just like a, just like a surgeon, he comes in to talk to Peter and make significant changes in his life and in his way of thinking. He's walking Peter in this brief conversation through genuine repentance. So I want to look at this scene as we look at Jesus and the, the imagery of a surgeon. And first we see the diagnosis. Now, do you remember in scene one what Jesus had prepared on the beach? Yes, he prepared breakfast, but what was it on? A charcoal fire. Now, the only other time that we see this phrase used in the New Testament is just a few chapters earlier in John 18. Jesus had been arrested in the garden, the disciples had fled, and Peter found his way to where Jesus was being held, and he finds himself being warmed around a charcoal fire in the garden of the high priest. And it's in these moments that a servant girl, the first one, asks him, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? And Peter replies, I am not. So there, sitting around this charcoal fire in our text today after breakfast, Jesus looks deep into Peter's eyes and says, Do you love me? And the smoke lofting around and the smell of the charcoal fire and Jesus' piercing eyes take Peter back to that night. And if that weren't enough... Jesus asks him this question three times. How many times did Peter deny Christ? Three times. So a second time around a charcoal fire the night of Jesus' trials, Peter is questioned about his connection to Christ, and he denies Jesus. Then finally, one of the high priest's servants who had actually been in the garden because one of his relatives had had his ear chopped off by Peter, you remember that story? Says, didn't I see you in the garden? And again, the third time, Peter denies Jesus, and the rooster begins to crow. Now we read in another gospel that it was in those moments that Jesus was being led out, and he looks over and he sees Peter, and they look at each other in the eye. Now, can you imagine after a prophecy had just been fulfilled and you had just denied your Lord three times him looking at you? 
Imagine what Peter feels. Imagine what Christ feels in those moments. So we have the charcoal fire. We have the question asked three times, do you love me? But look at what else Jesus does. How does he reference Peter? What is he calling? Simon, son of John. Didn't Jesus change his name to Peter? Petros, the rock. But here, Jesus is referring to him by his former name. That coupled with this huge collection of fish incident, which is actually where Christ called Peter into ministry, Jesus is taking Peter back to the beginning of his relationship with Christ. What is Jesus doing? It seems a little bit, I mean, is Jesus being passive-aggressive here? Is he rubbing Peter's face in his sin? Is he shaming Peter? Imagine how Peter is feeling now. And actually, we see in our text after the third question that Peter is grieved because Christ asked him three times. But what Christ is actually doing here is he's saying, Stop, Peter. Think for just a moment. You have to see and grasp the weight of what you have done. The weight of you denying me. So the surgeon gives the diagnosis. But Jesus is not happy just to give the diagnosis and say, here's the problem and walk away. He goes on in and has surgery, secondly. He finds the troubled spot and gets down to the root and takes care of it. Notice Jesus doesn't even bring up Peter's behavior. He doesn't say, Peter, you were a coward. Okay, Peter, you didn't tell the truth. You know that I am truth. You know that lying is wrong. You just need to stop lying. He doesn't do that. Doesn't even talk about behavior. But he goes straight to the heart of the matter. How does he do that? Through two phrases. Look at this phrase. Do you love me? The very first question. Do you love me more than these? In Matthew 26, we read these words. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. So around this fire, Jesus is calling Peter out to the root issue of pride in his heart. Peter's heart says, I have it all together. I will stand firm. I will never fail because I love you, Jesus. I will be there to the end. And Jesus says, Peter, it is your lack of humility that has brought you down in these moments. And that's closely tied to the second root cause here. And it's that word love. He asks him three times, do you love me? 
And for a variety of reasons, he does this. But he's showing Peter that his loves are not in order. He's showing Peter that Peter, in fact, loves himself and his reputation more than he loves anything else. More than he loves Christ. So the surgeon is saying, Peter, Peter, I do not expect perfection. But your loves are all off. They are out of whack. They are out of order. You still want to be your own king and lord. You still want to rule your life. Do you love me? Now, how are you feeling right now if you're Peter? But the surgeon, as any good surgeon, doesn't just cut and find the problem and leave you laying there on the table. So we see, thirdly, the healing. Every time that Christ asks him that question, do you love me, it is followed with a command. Look down at the text. He says, feed my lambs. Then he says, tend my sheep. Then feed my sheep. So with each piercing question, each admonishment, Jesus follows with words of restoration. While he's leading Peter through repentance, he is saying, Peter, you are not your failure. Peter, your failure is not the final word. Peter, I do not want to just forgive you. I want to restore you to useful service. Now go and take care of my sheep. And it was because of Peter's failure and the humbling experience that he was actually able to serve and shepherd the sheep well. It put Peter in a better position to be merciful, to be forgiving, to love and help people because he understood now on a greater level humanity and our own failures. He understood the weakness of himself as a person, but more importantly, the greatness and power of God and of God's grace to forgive and to restore a person to the work of Christ. So then we enter into scene three, the priorities of love. Now in this final scene, it's in a sense still going on right now as we speak. This scene unfolds, and what happens in and through Peter is what the call is for us today until the Lord returns. But I want to pause for just a moment and make a plea uh, to all of us that have failed. All of us that have some regrets about something that we've done, something maybe that we have failed to do, something that we did even this morning. And may I be bluntly honest for just a moment. If you have failed, if you consider yourself a failure, you are in a safe place here. Look to your left and look to your right. Look at the people in front of you and behind you and look at the people that have been up here this morning on this platform. You are with your people. And you may say, well, you don't know what I've done. 
I don't. But all of our sin, whether we count them as great or small, all of our sin is a denial of Christ and who he is. So again, we are all asked, do you love me? Not do you love me perfectly. Not do you never have any doubts. Not will you never fail again. But do you love me? So if your heart is currently beating and you're currently breathing, this is for you. And for me. If you're investigating Christ and the claims made in the Bible, keep listening. So scene three, the priorities of love. There's three priorities. We see them in Peter and we see them for us as well. First is this, familiar words if you've been around Stony Point Church anytime. First is to come. Now in this story, remember, we see Jesus jump out of the boat into the water, come swimming and then running up to Jesus. But what did, Je what did Peter do the first time that Christ made an amazing miracle of a, an abundance of fish? Peter said this, Depart from me, for I am a sinner. He did not and could not Stand to be in the presence of holiness, to be in the presence of Jesus. So he says, get away from me, Jesus. But now, Peter knows that he is a sinner and knows that there is only one place to run. So instead of trying to get away from Jesus, he runs right to him, knowing that Jesus is the one that can do something about it. And his death and his resurrection proved it. And notice in this conversation, Peter didn't say, well, they, they took me off guard when they asked me that question. You know, it might be, we might be a little more understanding if like, are you one of his, oh, no, 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 oh, what did I just say? But three times, Peter doesn't make any excuses. He doesn't say, oh, but Lord, they were going to kill me. And then how could I do what you want me to do if I'm dead? No excuses are made. He sits and listens and agrees. The same is true with us. We have to be willing to look at our own sin and call it what it is. You say, well, aren't we supposed to affirm people? That is so old-fashioned to call out sin and to talk about sin. Do you get mad at the doctor when he calls you in and says, you have cancer, let's do something about it? In the same way, this cancer of sin is in each of us, and there's a surgeon that can do something about it. It is not unloving for us to look at our sin in the eyes. So we have to do this just as Peter did. Because Jesus Christ, the surgeon, takes that cancer and puts it all on himself. God made Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin for us so that we might find the righteousness of God in him. It's why Peter was actually able to write later, For Christ also suffered once for sins, 
the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And as we turn, as we turn to Christ's life, death, and resurrection for us, he removes our failures and regrets. He takes our sin as far as the east is from the west, and he buries them in the deepest part of the ocean, never to be seen again. It's why we can read in Romans that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, but that evil one, Satan, right? He reminds us of our past. In fact, it's the only time that Satan tells the truth is when he reminds us of who we are apart from Christ. But he doesn't tell the rest of the story. He doesn't tell the cross and the resurrection And when we listen to him, that's when we wallow in our sin and despair. That's when we live a regretful life. But it is because of the finished work of Christ and the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit that we are able to fall seven times and get back up. Now, two things we need to think about just quickly for a minute. In the accounts of Peter's denials of Christ in the Gospels, Mark's account is the only one that lets us know that one of those times, in one of those denials, Peter actually cursed Jesus and cursed Christ's name as a part of that denial. Now, in that day and in a shame culture, you would never, never curse someone with whom you were associated You would never curse them in their name. It would be unforgivable. So internally now, Peter is thinking of this. And from the perspective of Christ who was cursed. But which gospel writer was Peter actually the one that discipled? Mark. Why would Peter allow that to be written in Mark's gospel? Why would Peter want that out? I mean, come on, we're airing dirty laundry here. But Peter, because he knew of what Christ had done, he knew he was not defined by that. He knew that that sin was taken, that it was paid for. But also think about the Apostle Paul. Before his conversion, he... Uh, and before he came to trust in Christ, what was he doing? He was leading a charge to murder all of God's people, to kill those that were following Christ. Do you think that he ever regretted that? Do you think that ever as he laid his head down to go to sleep at night, he heard the cries of those people that were being murdered? Do you think that those thoughts ever haunted him? But Paul was able to say, Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Is this Paul just saying, oh, no, 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 just forget about it. Is this Paul applying cheap grace? No, this is Paul saying, I know the depths of my sin, but I know the depths of God's grace are greater than my sin. That is why deep calls unto deep. So both of these men knew the depth of their sin that Christ took their punishment on the cross. You know, I love 
It's a newer song entitled Graves into Gardens, and I just want to read a few of the lyrics. I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend. Because the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. There's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. You turn mourning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You see, when we come to Jesus with our failures, it puts us in a position to actually be able to love and help others. Because we know, as Jesus told his disciples, he who is forgiven much loves much. So when Jesus comes and says, do you love me? Come to him. Run to him daily, just like Peter did, and just be honest about your love. But in this third scene, it unfolds not just to come to Christ, but to grow in Christ. Now, how do we grow in love and appreciation of someone? We spend time with them. We get to know them. We see how they operate. Is it any different for us and our love for Christ? Now, this is so simple and so basic that I think many of us neglect and overlook this simple fact, myself at the top of that list. But in the book of Acts, we see Peter connected to other Christ followers. He is praying with them. He is growing with them in community, growing in their strength and their love for Christ. And this, it's no different for us. We have to grow in community. But thirdly, we go. Remember that command that Jesus gave Peter three times. Shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. This is a going with the gospel of grace and forgiveness, that forgiveness that Peter had experienced and taking it to others to be able to experience. Now, two images from this story that I just want to use as we close. Now, the first time that they had an amazing fishing experience with Jesus, the haul was so great that the nets were torn. And as they come in, Jesus Christ says, follow me, and instead of fishing after fish, I will make you fishers of men. Put your nets aside. But in this instance, the nets were not ripped. So not one of those 153 fish were lost. In our going with the gospel, we toil and we labor, but Christ is the one who brings in the increase and not one of his children will be lost. The nets will not break because it is Christ who does the work. And he delights to do it in and through us, but he is the one that brings the increase. It is all his grace, just like the image in this story. And so Peter the, the man that had denied Christ, we can see him in the book of Acts preaching a sermon and thousands coming to Christ. This man was restored. Then finally, the image of sheep. Now we could talk a lot about this, but I just want to share one dimension. As we go with the gospel, we need to remember that sheep are stupid 
they wander. And when you do something for sheep, when you feed sheep, they just, they just stare at you. <laughs> they do nothing. I mean, even a cat, even a cat will come up to you and purr and show a little bit of affection after you feed it. But that's who we are, right? Sheep. We wonder, we stray, and we are often far too ungrateful. But the great shepherd delights in caring for, loving, and shepherding his sheep. So as Hebrews 4 tells us, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted just as we are, yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and help in our time of need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Peter and how he's so much like us. But we thank you that you delight in using his spunky personality, in using, as we saw here this morning, his failure to call other people to the king that has never failed and will never fail us. Lord, we sit in our regrets and our failure, but we stand up and we bring them to your throne of grace so that we may present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service of worship. We need your son Jesus, so we rest in his finished work. And for those today that find it hard to stand up and take those failures, those that find it easy to wallow in that failure. Pour your grace out upon them today so that they might be able to bring them to your throne of grace. Help us in our time of need, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.